ABC Thursdays. Firefighters, we're family. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. The subject has explosive chemicals. With fiery romances. You're the love of my life. And Andy is finally in charge. I'm going to be the best damn captain the station has ever seen. Station 19. All new Thursdays, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Good afternoon and welcome to this edition of the Black Tuesday podcast with Biggs and Lens. I am Biggs and you you know her, you love her, the greatest Florida State alum ever, Stephanie Lens. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm in a weird mood. Everything is weird. How are you? Good. Weird good or weird bad? Just off. Like, I think that I understand something and somebody else understands it a different way. It's one of those mercury retrograde things. And it's been going on for two weeks. I'm done with it. So let I want to hear some truth from you. Now, some truth, we have so much to talk about. But one of the things I'm going to jump into is there's a lady in Texas. Her name is Michelle Carew. She was a elections administrator. This is from this is from the Texas Tribune, and in North Texas, she submitted her recognition on Friday because apparently Trump, um, a loyalist, have been trying to force her out, even though Trump won her county heavily. It's Hood County. I. It's so strange that people in a county that Trump won significantly, would force out the election official. How does that make sense? Um, I think one of the keys to this, and this is a really terrific article, by the way, in the Texas Tribune, um, one of the keys to this is it's mentioned in here later that this is happening in states like Pennsylvania and Ohio, that a third of Pennsylvania's county election officials have left in the last year and a half. And in Ohio... One in four directors or deputy auditors of elections have left in the southwestern part of the state. And I don't know if this is any kind of plan or if it's just unfolding this way that professional people who have expertise in elections and voting and overseeing elections are either throwing up their hands and leaving or being forced out. And that gives me pause. I mean, that's They've kind of figured out where they can fuck around with elections, and Republicans have always worked well at a local level. They work well getting people into school boards and um, township councils and things like that. 
whereas, you know, Democrats just, I, I just don't see that kind of push at a local level with them. And um, now this Trump wing of the Republican Party are the ones who are pushing really hard to get about election officials. And they're going to put their own people in there, expertise or no expertise. They're going to have some Yahoo in there looking at the machines, making the decisions about how the ballots are, are set up, all that kind of stuff. And that's something that, you know, I don't know, I'm not sure who needs to be paying attention to it, but the Democrats definitely do, and they need to be getting people into these positions and training the people coming up as well. So um, you know, that's a big part of it, but that they're pushing this woman out in a county where Trump won 80% of the vote, what would be the purpose of it except that she's not a Trumper? We want a Trumper in that spot. It's scary. Right. They really thought, and, and Trump won Texas. He didn't win by a great margin, but he still won the damn state. He carried the state. It just signifies a desperation where mm-hmm. the Republicans or the GOP, the Trump wing, which is pretty much the Republican Party, they know that they don't have the votes. They don't have the votes to... They, they're looking at 2024 cautiously. Trump's not running. Let's just call it what it is. He's not running. I don't see it. I don't think he could survive it as far as losing again. They're looking at the landscape. They know that there's no viable candidate to Trump to the Republicans. He's a the perfect storm of racism, misogyny, homophobia that came to get all the one. He is a confluence. Not of the Allegheny, Iowa, and the Manila Rivers. He's a different kind of confluence, where all these things happen at once, and it it played out right. They're never going to get that again. They're trying to tip the scales in their favor, but it's still not going to work. And to me, it strikes of desperation that it might work in Hood County, but I don't think it's going to work in either purplish or blue counties itself. Now, this was something that kind of jumped out at me. There's a lady named Nora Salmon. She was prosecuted and acquitted. Uh, her husband was a the Pulse nightclub gunman, and she spoke to Vice News. A couple of questions. If she... Do we need to hear from her? And two, why open this door. That's it's weird. Um I you know you know, as as terrible as this was, you know, one of the worst terrorist attacks on American soil, um it was kind of off my radar a little bit. It you know, during Pride Month I think of it because it not only happened during Pride Month but because the attack was on a gay nightclub. Um so I I do think of it then but I generally don't think about it. Um, but then again, I'm not, you know, a family of a victim or anything like that. They're probably thinking about it every second of every day. But this woman says um, she has to wear colored contacts. She had to move from Orlando to California. And then Vice put not just that she's in California, but the town that she's in, in the article. Mm-hmm. And she's saying about how she's always looking over her shoulder. The article says about how she's always scanning the room. She's afraid that people are coming after her. Yet the story is about um, the narrative of her having been abused within her marriage and her dead husband's 
first wife also being abused within their marriage, and they say that's the reason that they didn't come forward and talk about um, what what the what this guy was like and his plans and stuff like that. And that's perfectly plausible. A lot of uh, domestic partners in this country feel that they can't speak up uh, about the things that their partner does for their own safety or for the safety of their children. I get that. And she has my empathy on that front. At the same time, um, there's a, a little bit in here, not enough, about um, how this guy was on the FBI's radar. They had him as um, being on a terrorist watch list. They conducted almost a year-long investigation into this guy. Um, so if she thinks it's her fault that he didn't get turned over and that this shooting happened, what, where does the blame fall with the FBI? If they already had him on their list, they knew that he was potentially a terrorist and going to carry out a terrorist attack, why are we supposed to think that it was her fault? And she was brought up on charges. She was prosecuted. And um, the families of the victims say that she was gotten off on a technicality. There was something wrong with the way that the state presented its case. Or the feds, I'm not sure if it was a state or a federal case, but that she basically got off on a technicality after spending almost a year in jail waiting for this trial and stuff. It's a little bit of a hodgepodge of an article, but there's a lot in there that, you know, I didn't know. Um, I'd honestly forgotten that there was some talk that the wife was in on it, and I don't know why it's happening now. Um, there's really nothing in there to indicate, you know, like that she had been in hiding and suddenly got outed or something like that, that... Um, you know, her son is at a certain age or anything like that. Um, so I'm just wondering if maybe there's a book coming forward, something like that. But, um, you know, if she's really contrite about her role or her perceived role in this attack, then if she writes a book, the profits need to go to some kind of group that benefits the families of the victims of the shooting. They had one of the family, uh, from family members of the victims quote an article in, she basically wants this woman still held accountable. And the article paints an interesting picture because this was the gunman's second wife. This was, apparently he was violent towards his first, and she tried to, like, there's a history of violence. They mentioned an episode with a toy pig that their son had, and the gunman, who will never mention his name, he came and raised and cut the pig in half with a knife. I mean, this is where this went, but like you said, my issue with the article is one of the first things you said. It details the town she lives in. It pinpoints her exact location. How? You're a writer. You're an editor. How? How does this fly, fly by the editorial desk or the editor of Vice? I don't get it, and I mean, it's you can tell that the author of the art article, who conducted the interviews and everything like that, is detailing how distrustful she is of those around her. She moves from place to place quickly. She never spends more than five minutes in one spot. She's that afraid that someone is coming after her. And then includes in the article the exact town that she's in, where the kid goes to school, how she looks without her contacts and wig and stuff like that. So, I, you know, it's, it's two things. I, I guess maybe it was done in the interest of balance or fairness. Like, 
you know, well, you can't really hide and everybody knows what you look like. If somebody's really after you, they're going to find you no matter what. But, um, you know, I I don't get how they would put the name of this. And it's not a big town in California. It's a small town in California. It's not like she's in L.A. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Podunk Nowhere, California. The game and it's where she's from. So it's not like anybody would, you know, it's not like she just moved to a random town. It's where her, her family lives. They gave the name of the town in the direction of the nearest city near it. I'm like, wow, just, yeah, 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 could just said moved out west and just been done. But we, this is going to be a theme today of uh, shitty journalism because there's, woo, coming up. But we come back from break. It is a good read. We'll come back and we'll discuss work dreams and how they could affect you. You're listening to the Black Tuesday podcast with Biggs and Lens on the FPC Radio Network. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We are back with the Back Tuesday podcast with Biggs and Lens. I'm big shit, Lens. There's an article in the Wall Street Journal about work dreams or work when it, it, it starts to seep into your dreams. As someone who has held many jobs, has this happened to you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And I know that if I'm dreaming about 
a job or a former job or a job I've never had. Um, it's kind of, I treat it like a short story in a way, and it's like what happened in it is one thing, what it's about is something else, and I try to figure out what the about is. Um, one of the recurring dreams that I have now is that we up and move to a place I don't want to go with without being able to have any input, and that's like one of my recurring things now, so I'm still trying to figure out exactly what that's about. You know, is it control? Is it, you know, what it may be? But, um, yeah, it's. And I think that you picked this article because this woman is having a nightmare about ketchup. Right. Look at that. I have nightmares about ketchup constantly. <laughs> but it's one of those things that when I've always been taught. Like, I've had work dreams where I feel like there's an assignment I have to do, but I'll, I'll finish everything. And it's just, I think that's when if work gets to that point where folks got to step back because with the age of COVID, do, do, do you think that work has taken a secondary stance in the life of a lot of people. They they saw what could happen if they solely focus on their jobs and not live life. I do. I think that the workplace has changed. I think the way that we go about work has changed. Um, I think that one of the best things to come out of the um, out of the pandemic has been that we realized how much work can be done in our homes for a lot of people. And that also opens up the workplace to people with disabilities in a way that they said, oh, we can't accommodate that. And it turns out that when the bulk of people need whatever it is, if it's video conferencing or being able to work at home or having extra days off, you can accommodate it. And I think that's part of the new workforce. And I also think that's where some of the um, hiring shortages are coming from now is people realize, I don't want to work for that pay, or I don't want to work at that job, or I don't want to work for an employer who doesn't value my health and safety. And people are realizing they have more choices than than they thought that they did. So those are some of the great things that have come out of it. And um, I think people prioritize. They've been like, you know, is work where I want my my efforts to be and my energy? And for some people, they found out, yeah, this is, I do love what I do and this is what I want to do. And, you know, great. And for some people, it was, you know, they'd rather travel when it's safe or they'd rather spend time with their families or they take up a new hobby or something like that, and they just want to make themselves more rounded. And I think that it's showed us a lot about work and how we value it and what its place is in our lives. For me, it's I've had, as long as I've been in Wisconsin, I've had more than one job. It's been a multiple type of thing. And it's just like when life changes and circumstances change, it's like, oh, I spent too much time at work, like, I'm going, believe it or not, I'm going on vacation this weekend just on a quick road trip. This is the first road trip. This is the first time I've been out of this state since my last vacation was with the Florida in 2015. I don't even do it myself. I like, should I get should I check in the work? Should I take the tablet? I mean, no, just go to, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm theoretically missing that Monday, which is one day of work, and I'm like, don't know what to do it myself. I'm like, oh, maybe I can just take some notes. No, just stop. Just go enjoy vacation. And you become so attached to your job because there's the, I need to do this, I need to do this, I need to do this. And it is interesting to watch how the work has changed. Speaking of work changing, there's an article in Quartz that said that the U.S. workforce in the healthcare field, they have lost 
and nursing and health facilities lost 38,000 jobs in September, and hospitals lost 8,000. Do you think it's correlated or, I mean, it's, of course it's correlated, do you think that it was a way of hospital administration handling the pandemic, a lack of appreciation for those staff, or do you think it's a more of a fatigue setting? I think it's all of those. I think you hit it with every single one. Uh, there's a lot of burnout in medicine um, at all levels of medicine, whether it's people who work in nursing homes or just helping people with their daily cleanups or, you know, like um, neurosurgeons who are getting up at 4 a.m. to you know, do surgery all day. Um, there's a lot of job shifts in medicine just from people that I know um, and practices that I know of. A lot of people have been making lateral moves. Like, for example, a physician's assistant may move from a general practice to a specialized practice because, you know, they're just burnt out on seeing different kinds of patients. They just want to see one kind of patient all day. It's just too much. Or, um, you know, people aren't having enough variety, so they're switching from say, the specialist office into a general practice office where they get things mixed up a little bit and, and keep fresh. Um, you know, that's, I've seen a lot of that kind of lateral moving and a lot of shifting and, you know, oh, where's so-and-so now? Oh, they work for doctor this person. And it's that kind of thing that I've seen. But there have been job losses, too. People just walk out. They don't want to you know, work in in this kind of medicine anymore. They don't want to work for, you know, get yelled at at a clinic for saying that somebody has to put their mask on to walk in. You know, I don't blame people for wanting to leave that. And I, we have two hospital systems around here. One of them has a mask mandate. The other one doesn't have a mask mandate. And, you know, people are kind of picking and choosing where they want to go for their clinic work. You know, like, you know, you get a splinter in your foot or something. Do you want to go where there's where they make you wear a mask and, and you're safer, or do you want to go where you don't have to wear a mask because freedoms? So uh, there's a lot of that kind of stuff too. But um, the thing that I've always told you know kids, I can say my kids and other people's kids and stuff, is if you want a job or you'll always have a job, go into healthcare because there will always be sick people. So you know, whatever it is that you want to do, if you go into that, that's, you know, there will always be jobs there. So I don't know where the people who are leaving medicine for good are going. I guess they're just doing something different. Um, I'd hate to have to spend, you know, four years getting an RN degree and then be like, okay, well, now what do I do because I'm I'm burnt out on nursing. It It's really just kind of a mixed-up thing, and I think it is also reflective of the general um, way that, things are going with jobs and stuff as people are leaving their jobs and changing things up and rethinking about, you know, is this the way I want to spend the next 50 years of my life? Now, for me, I worked in a hospital for about six months this year, just as a another gig, and I noticed that there are so many hardworking people there, but also know that they're tired also know that some of the managerial folks have been nightmares. Mm -hmm. I watched a person in patient registration get yelled at for a mistake that wasn't her fault, and she just looked at me and she's like, I'm not coming back. Mm -hmm. Just And it's like, you don't understand that. I mean, yes, there's a pressure because people are tired, and I get that, but it goes to basic, basic appreciation. Like, this is why the medical field is, you know, it at times has a hard time retaining folks. People don't like being yelled at and like talked to like they're garbage. And people 
fail to understand that. Yeah, it's not just healthcare; it's also customer service all the way down. I mean, it is. I'm stunned at the the numbers, but I think that they might level off some. Some. Mm-hmm. This is one of those things. Now, what shouldn't level off is apparently I'm an old. So let me explain how how I'm an old. <laughs> there is a band called Little Mix. And the singer's name is Jessie Nelson. And she apologized for being accused of blackfishing <laughs> on her debut album. One, I didn't know what the hell Little Mix was. I thought it was something that had, like, peanuts and raisins and pretzels that came in a bag that you got at the grocery store. Apparently, they're like a whole-ass band, a whole-ass group. And she's 30. I'm looking at the picture uh, courtesy of ITV News, she straight up looks like Latoya Jackson. No shit. And I'm like, uh... So she's been accused of blackfishing, which people know is when a non-black person tries tries to appear black, but they also deny using a fake tan. And she's like, I personally want to say that my intention was never ever to offend people of color in this video and my song because I like it. Ramp as a girl, this is the music I listen to. These are videos that I watched and I thought were the best for me personally. 1990s, 2000s hip hop, R&B was the best era of music. I want to celebrate that. I just want to celebrate that era of music because it is what I love. Uh-huh. The fuck? I mean, that black Right, the fuck? I mean, she looks like Janet Jackson in Poetic Justice. She has that same like hat and braid combination. Uh-huh. Huh? When you see a white person, not even just black fishing, but just just a white person with dreads, like you, I'm sure you've been to College Town, you've seen like hipster bro, like Caleb with a K, out there with, you know, the Che Guevara shirt and the dreads. Do you just want to ask, like, bruh, you are straight up from probably like Abington, PA. You are white as white. How are you dressed like this? I don't get it. What her appearance actually is, and this is, I'm talking strictly clothing, stuff she can change. She looks like a Halloween costume from the mid-90s. She doesn't look like an actual music person. She looks like someone who's playing dress-up with every single piece of jewelry that she can find. Her clothes are straight from the Gwen Stefani line, and she's got, like, the big acrylic nails. It's just parody. And it's like, okay, so either, you know, either you are a parody of hip-hop culture or you're serious about this. And if you're serious about this with your dark spray tan, your lips lined on the outside to make them look thicker, and your, I don't know, she says it's her hair, but she wears a lot of wigs. Either it's stick straight and bleach blonde with a hat on, or... She's got, like, really full, wavy, almost, like, half-relaxed hair. And it's like, so that, you know, either you're being serious and and this is who you are and what you look like, or you're just doing a parody of hip-hop. In either case, you know, it's, I don't know how to say it other than offensive, and she says it's not her intention to offend people. Well, then what is your intention? It's to get some press like this. This is the press you want. 
But apparently her former band members got sick of her bullshit and they don't talk to her anymore. But Nicki Minaj is on her side. So. Now, Nicki Minaj, she, her, the husband would be, uh, should have, he needed to register as a registered sex offender and didn't. And her and her brother was also a sex offender. Mm-hmm. Yeah, her, her credibility on word has a credibility, honestly, of a three dollar bill. I have, I have no, but it's just wild to see the fans and the fandom. Oh, she's just showing respect. Did we ever get to the bottom of her cousin's friend's balls? No. <laughs> yeah. I I have no idea. I look forward to never seeing or hearing Jesse Nelson again. I I mean, I was like, this is a thing? I mean, I felt so old. I'm like, who are these people? Like, <laughs> they never... Like I said, I felt like an old. Uh but we're going to bring it back with a couple of football stories, but not really about football itself, kind of one about morals and one about actually, ethics. So Adam Schefter, for those who don't know, is an ESPN NFL insider. He's the one who breaks news and scoops, former writer, former journalist, uh, yes, former journalist, current ESPN employee. So apparently he sent Bruce Allen, who at the time was the general manager of the Washington football team, an unpublished draft, and actually labeled it Mr. Editor, which means, for those not keeping track, an actual journalist sent a draft of an article to the target of the article to make sure that it was correct. You've been a writer, editor for a while. I've been a writer, editor for a while. This, to me, is, if there is a journalism tribunal, this is one of the highest crimes you can have outside of plagiarism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this isn't the company newsletter. This is supposed to be objective journalism informing your audience and who you're writing for is the public. If you're writing it to kiss the ass of the subject, that's not journalism. That's just kind of all that is to it. I mean, at TC, we're just a little literary magazine, but we publish reviews. We don't send the reviews off to the author of what's being reviewed and say, hey, are you okay with this? No, our review ed- our reviews editor, Shelley, writes her review. Our copy editor looks it over. If we needed to fact check, we could fact check, but we don't need to do that kind of thing. And then we publish our review. We never run it past the person that it's about or, or you know, who wrote the thing that it's about. So it's just like I, I couldn't believe, I couldn't believe yet I could believe that he was, you know, please let me know if you see anything that should be added, changed, or tweaked, Mr. Editor. How sycophantic. How sad. It is. Like, I can't seem the same way again. And I really... I really am stunned at that because you have man lost his entire reputation in one day. Mm-hmm. One day he lost his entire reputation, and I just yeah. These group I mean, emails, we are not done with them. There's a lot in there. I'm I guarantee. This oh, we'll be having us. We'll, we'll be having a couple more of these. Now, mm-hmm. 
there was a guy named Darren Rovell. Darren Rovell is, he was like a sports business reporter. He worked for ESPN, and he literally said that this is what happened. He said that he's never heard of anyone do that, anyone doing this in journalism. Now, Keith Oberman decided to kind of own him now. Like, I got to find this tweet. It is perhaps the greatest moment in history of moments. It is. I'm not the biggest Oberman fan, but when he owns somebody, he owns them hard. Own the fuck out of them. And, I mean, it is cringe to the point that Darren Rovell may never need to tweet again. He sunned the shit out of him. It was bad. And this is what he's, this is what the original quote was. I'm going to clarify it here because mob is going to mob. No, I don't think we as journalists have sent full edited, unedited stories to sources and called them editor. I think most of us, including myself, have shown pieces of stories to sources. That last part is not true. Am I wrong? I, every time, like when I would have um, something, like something was getting written about me back, you know, during those 11 years of my lawsuit, I never heard back from the journalist, ever. I only ever heard from the fact checker, and I only heard from a fact checker three times. So, no, you don't run things past, real journalists don't run things past the subject, unless maybe, maybe spelling, something like that, or, um, but, but generally, a fact checker, if you're a big enough publication to have a fact checker, will call back and like, you know, is this what you said? And, and you have to be like, yeah, that's the, those are the words I used. Anybody who's ever seen, um, I can't think of a Cameron Crowe movie about the band. Um, Almost Famous. Thank you. <laughs> Almost Famous. If you've seen Almost Famous, at the end of it, the fact checker for Rolling Stone is calling the band, and they refuse to acknowledge that what was written in the story is accurate. And so Rolling Stone can't run the article. And so they're, they feel that they've wasted their time and everything like that. So the one, the lead singer finally calls them and says, yeah, everything is correct. You can run with the story. Right. So that's, you know, that's how journalism works. And that's a good movie to watch if you want to get an idea of, you know, how you go back and forth with freelance journalism and editing and stuff, or at least, you know, back at, at that time. So, um, yeah, that's, that's how it works. You never call up the subject and, like well, I have called in in my life um, for an additional quote, but I never call them back to tell them what the what the article will be. No, the article is the article. It's true. So this is what Oldman said as a response to Darrell's tweet. That's because you're not a real journalist. Never have been. And that blank day, stupid check engine light look in your eyes is a full and total expression of your soul. <sighs> mm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. You might want to pick up Darren. I mean, Darren, Darren might need you know a moment to kind of collect his innards from the ground after being disemboweled by Keith Olbermann, who, like I said, I'm not a huge fan of because he tends to be a little, a little much. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to journalism, he's one of those journalists where he's super smart and he is very bright. Maybe even too bright, but but he. He's a journalist, and as journalists, like I find Schefter where I have no respect for him, none, zero. And he can he can try to tweet through it, but this is a 
to me, in my eyes, this is a credibility ender. Mm-hmm. Now, speaking of credibility ending, like it hasn't ended when he was sending pictures of his penis to Florida State alums. Not you. She worked as a jet silent reporter. Let me just get that clear. Mm-hmm. Brett Favre. The Mississippi, Mississippi, good Lord, Mississippi State Auditor, say that three times fast, they want 828 grand back from him because in illegally spent welfare funds. Brett Favre, the multimillionaire. Mm-hmm. Why is the state of Mississippi giving him 828 grand? Because it was a charity scam. This is my favorite story of the day. I'm so glad that you pointed me towards this in the Mississippi Free Press. Basically, this charity got set up, um, Families First for Mississippi, and it was a scheme to give money out to people, but not to the needy. It was um, the money that he got was earmarked as temporary assistance for needy families. So I guess he was a you know a needy family who got 1.1 million in funds from a couple nonprofits. And he has to return 828000 of it. And then it goes on. There's all these other people who are involved in this scam. Other people who got letters from the auditor today are the whole DiBiase family from WWE. So it's like, you know, people who definitely don't need this charity money, or I should say maybe not charity, nonprofit money. It was just a, a front to dole money out to people. And it's right. like it just reminds me, you know, go to Charity Navigator, and and I this is why I don't give to, you know, Kickstarter or I do Kickstarter, but like to uh, GoFundMe's and stuff like that because you never know what's going on anymore. It's like that little boy. I remember him. Like he was being bullied, and he started GoFundMe that raised. I can't think of his name last year. He was being bullied, and then come to find out, his mama was the one who started GoFundMe, and a lot of the story was embellished. Mm-hmm. I'm like, really? Like, yeah. you really use a little boy to to try to get him on people. Mm-hmm. As far as Favre, it kind of fits his MO. It truly it does. does. It, it does. Like, you will really see an athlete who goes from beloved to kind of sh- kind of shoulder shrugged. Like, in Wisconsin, when I moved here in 04, Rep Favre was God in Wisconsin. Yeah. Like, you couldn't say anything about Brett. Nah, Brett just did everything right. Just he was the perfectly perfect embodiment of family man. And everything. Else. Oh, he goes to the Jets, starts sending pictures of his, of his, you know, to a silent reporter who scarily looked just like his wife. Like if you look at them side by side, eerie resemblance. I'm like, dude, that is strange. Well, first of all, it's strange that you're sending pictures to like unsolicited. No, don't be that guy. Is but and the Bibiasi part of it, I think, is funny. You know, it, man, his gimmick was the million dollar man. Apparently, the the, the million dollar man became the million dollar man after grifting and skimming from folks. Mm-hmm. Living his gimmick. Yeah, he created his own uh, Heart of David Ministries. Where yes. he could get his you know money. It, it, it's yes. All just it's all a big grift, and mm-hmm. now they're calling their grift nonprofits. Well. Somebody's profiting. Yes, and it's not the people that actually they lie to the state and tell them it's for. Mm-hmm. I just found it strange and it's funny to me. Now, as we end, I gotta, I gotta ask you this question. Now, it is, 
is wild in the fall because you have people who are really how to explain it like how to, I can't even explain how folks are dealing with fall. How do you deal with the transitions in the seasons? I don't. <laughs> I don't do well. Um, when well, my anniversary is the nineteenth of September. And everybody starts acting like it's fall before that date. And I'm like, no, I was a summer bride. It is still summer when it is September 19th. And then, like, you know, two days later, it turns into fall. I'm like, okay. And then the leaves start turning. And they start falling. And then there's pumpkin spice everything. And then my husband's taking handfuls of candy corn and eating it in front of me, like, to to grow. What? what? Candy corn. The man eats candy corn on purpose when there's other food in the house. This is why he's Pennsylvania's second favorite doctor, Judas Irving, and every candy corn. This is bullshit. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I think that he intends to speak with you about this because he wants to defend candy corn. I can't. He and my daughter, my older, just love the candy corn. I can't. I can't with them. But anyway, so, you know, this happens, and I'm still not ready. I'm not ready to wear a jacket. I'm not ready to wear a sweater or boots. The thing is, where I live is literally on top of a mountain. If I go to the grocery store, I drop 1,500 feet in elevation to go to the grocery store, and it's like 10 miles away, 15 miles away. So when it gets snowy, I call it Narnia, because it snows here and nowhere else, and our streets will be impassable, and we're just kind of stuck here. And I don't want to be stuck. I enjoyed being stuck when my kids were little, but now that they're older, it's like, I, if I need to go out, if I have to get something, if I have to go to Pittsburgh, if I've got an appointment or something, I have to go and I have to brave this weather and I'm just not ready for it. I see fall, and I, I say this as a fall baby. I see fall as just this, I, I love it, but at the same time it's just this prelude to the bleakness that is winter and I'm, I'm not sure if I'm ready for that. If I, I think if our winters were milder, I would do better with it. But I still haven't decorated for Halloween inside my house. So, I am a summer person. I summer and spring. I my my birthday is June seventh. I love a good summer. I love summer. Summer is the best to me because it is to go outside. The sun's out. The sun isn't set till nine ish, eight thirty nine. Perfect. It's warm. Shorts. Mm-hmm. Love me some shorts. Just shorts, sneakers. T-shirt, go outside, boom. Mm-hmm. Fall represents everything you said. People are like, oh, my God, the leaves are turning. I don't give a fuck. People are like, but you're from New England, and you get to watch leaves. Yeah, my black guys had to sit there and rake those motherfuckers, too. No, that's not fun. People are like, oh, you know, you get to wear, like, like fall clothes. You get to have hot chocolate. Great. A hot drink. When I really just wanted an iced coffee, but I gotta have a hot drink because yeah. Trudy over here is like pumping spice up to her, you know, her nostrils. Thank you, random Trudy. But it's for me, it's a matter of, like you said, it's the harbinger of winter, mm-hmm. and it's uh, ugh. when there's, there's a point in the year when you can kind of feel the the wind shift, where you get that one one first chill of cold air. Like, oh shit, it's coming. You really feel like Jon Snow. And you're like, oh, my. Yep. Fuck. And yep. it's just, 
But people get so excited. Like, oh, my God, fall and winter, there's snow. Great. Try shoveling it. Try driving through it. Try walking through it. Just try being around snow. And I live in Wisconsin. That means not only snow, but two words I have learned in the last 17 years, polar vortex. Mm -hmm. The fuck? Mm -hmm. And people are like, oh, just just put on layers. I shave my head completely bald. Thank you, Dusko Shaver. But it's more of I keep it short for a reason. I don't like having gray hair. And plus, I like it having super short. I have to wear a, like a smaller hat and then a big hat over the smaller hat. I have to layer my hats because my head gets cold. Uh, yeah. People are like, oh, you just grow like a winter beard. I look like fucking Dred Scott or Frederick Douglass with a beard because my hair is dry. No. And it's just, it's just the the fall and winter love. Mm-hmm. I just people are like, oh, it's pumpkins and it's Thanksgiving. I'm like, yeah, food yes, yeah, food yes, food food yes. But I'm, Thanksgiving has kind of slowly taken over as my favorite holiday anymore, just because I can make a big meal. I spend all day in the kitchen. No one bothers me, <laughs> and then I come out and I have all this delicious food for for everyone. So, do you season your turkey? Do I what? Season the turkey. Season it? Oh, yeah. Well, we do. We do the Gordon Ramsay version where you make an herb butter. Mm-hmm. It's just some garlic, and I think there's rosemary. I forget what else. And you kind of make that, and you let it sit and get soft, and then you put it between the skin and the meat. And it makes a real lumpy-looking turkey, but um, it, then it melts and it goes down into that meat, and it crisps up the skin, and that's the turkey that we've been making for years. So. This will be the first Thanksgiving in a better part of a decade plus, probably 15 years, where I actually will have seasoned turkey. The not seasoning turkey had made me just just an out of control anti turkey person. I get that you know spices are coming back, and just just like spices have come back to my life. And honestly, like even when I don't shave my head. That my hair is not as gray. I don't know what it is. Maybe I'm going. Maybe I'm getting younger. A little, um, uh, hey, a bit of a button type of deal. But yes, I'm looking forward to things. But fall can just kiss my ass all the time. How can people interact with you on social media? Uh, they can see all my fall pictures at Instagram. Even though I'm locked down, just send me a friend request. And everywhere else, uh, my ID is Edenza. E D E N Z A. You can find us at T-Bix Tequila and wherever you can look at high quality or listen to high quality podcasts, we are there. This has been just another fantastic episode of the Black Tuesday Podcast with Biggs and Lens. Be good to yourselves. Be good to each other. It's going to be a t-shirt. Fuck Ted Cruz.